We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, on this wonderful Sunday morning. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of our service, we're kind of walking through um, what, are, what are the basic ingredients of a congregation, and we could argue of a Christian and a Christian life. And today we're going to look at, at one of the most foundational things, and, and I think at times maybe we almost, we almost take it for granted, but we're going to look specifically at the importance of God's Word for our faith and for sustaining us in our Christian living. So um, this whole sermon series is probably going to make you a little bit hungry all the way along. I, I, I apologize for that. That was not my intent, especially if you didn't get breakfast this morning. But, um, but we're going to do that a little bit more this morning. So here's what I want you to do. Um, what is your favorite meal? Okay. So now right, let me set it up a little bit. Um, if you could only have, if you could only have one meal, this is your last meal, right? It's your last meal. You're with, you're with the people that you love the most in this world, right? But this is your last meal. That made it sound really morbid. Okay. It's your last meal, but you're eating it with people you love and you're not about to die. But if you just got one, what would your meal be? Ooh, there you go. <laughs> Barbecue ribs. I like it. Fried chicken, someone say? Nice. Love it. Someone say lobster? Ah, yeah, that's where I'm. Lobster would be wonderful. Rib rib eye, prime rib. Yeah, okay. Just a good, good steak. Did you say lefsa? Oh, boy. Now you've just revealed yourself. A little little Norwegian flavor going on in here. So lefsa, yeah. Lefsa, okay. All right. Yeah. Others? Peanut butter and jelly. I like it. I thought, Kyle, I thought maybe you'd say an MRE or something from the military. So, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, so, okay. All right, so, so um, um, each of you maybe kind of have a favorite food or a favorite meal in your mind. Say, if I could just have one, this is the one that I would want. Now, uh, the meal that you thought of in your mind, was it the healthiest meal that you could ever eat? Not necessarily, right? Yeah, and that's kind of how it goes, doesn't it? So sometimes um, the, the, the meal that is, is our favorite is not necessarily always the one that is the most nourishing as well. Okay, so you've got in your mind your favorite meal. Uh, Reader's Digest a couple years ago did a poll uh, of Americans, of us as Americans, um, trying to determine what are the favorite foods of Americans or of us across the United States. Um, so I brought them along for you here today. You're already thinking in your minds, what are on there? I brought you the top five, okay? And we're going to go descending order. So number five, four, three, two, and one of favorite foods of Americans, okay? The first is French fries, okay? Yeah? You're like, okay, not bad. Yeah, that's a good one. I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a fan of French fries. I really like French fries, okay? That's, that's number five. Number four is pizza. Yeah, yeah. That one's, that one's probably like, okay, that's got to be up there, right? Pizza, okay. Number three. I know. This is a little bit of a surprise. You know what this is? Hash browns. Yeah, this is hash browns. Um, I know. Some of you're like wrinkling your faces at hash browns, right? Yeah, this was number three. I don't know. I didn't take the poll like this. I don't get paid to do this type of stuff, but apparently people really, really are in, into hash browns. I'm like, that seems a little bit odd. Okay, now we're... Up to number two, I think this one will make a little bit of sense. Yeah, cheeseburger. Cheeseburger sounds pretty good, right? Okay, um, and now we're to number one. 
Are there some foods that are missing in your mind that we have not seen yet? Tacos? Lefsa? I'll give you, I'll give you a hint. Lefsa did not make the top 50, so I'm sorry. I'm sorry to any Norwegians out there. My wife is Norwegian, so Lefsa did not even make the top 50. So, okay. Now you're trying to think what's the number one most popular food in America? Cherry pie. Cherry pie, yeah. Yeah, it would be interesting. I don't know exactly how they worded the poll because um, desserts didn't make this. So, I know, sorry. I'm sorry. Cherry pie seems like, yeah, or apple pie, right? Okay, you ready for it? This is it. A burrito bowl. Yeah, yeah, that's what they say. The number one most popular food in America is a burrito bowl. So, like, uh, um, if, you're, you, if you like Qdoba, things like that, right? Um, that's the most popular. Now, I think this one could probably have an asterisk by it because you, maybe you could include um, actual burritos, tacos, or anything of that nature. I don't know, right? So, okay. So did you agree with the top five? No? Okay. Some of you are like, eh, it's not so bad. Maybe you'd reorder some of those things. Uh, hash browns is an odd, an odd entry um, on that. Uh, maybe you'd say this isn't the top one, but maybe pizza or, or, or hamburgers, right? Um, uh, for me, when I think of my favorite food as a kid, this is what comes to mind. Yeah, meatloaf, I know. And some of you are like, oh, oh. <laughs> like, yeah, as a kid, this was my favorite food. Um, at any of my birthdays, any of my special functions, uh, my mom would always make meatloaf. Now, you're thinking you're, you maybe don't like meatloaf all that much. Here's why I like meatloaf. Um, Everything you need is just in one loaf. There's a little bit of breadcrumbs in there. There's some protein from the meat. You put ketchup on top. That technically is almost a vegetable. I mean, this thing, this is probably the perfect food, right? Meatloaf, so, yeah. So, I, here's the point. I think each of us maybe have different meals or different foods that are near and dear to our heart. Ones that we feel on some level satisfy us more than others. Um, today, we want to look specifically, what does God talk about? Um, how does he satisfy our, our souls, our spirit, specifically through his word? And so we're going to ask, if, if we're talking about um, what is one of the basics of what it means to be a Christian or, or be a part of a congregation, God's word is that, that meal, right? Um, and, and there are probably different reasons you chose your favorite meals beautiful thing about God's Word is it's almost endless, right? It has everything there that we need, continues to nourish us, and, and that's what we want to look at here today. Uh, Protestant reformer Martin Luther once said this about God's Word. He said, the soul cannot, or the soul can do without everything except the Word of God, without which none at all of its wants are provided for, right? So there's probably no better description of the impact of what God's Word and Scripture means for us as believers and for us as a church as well, okay? So that's what we want to dig into here today. We want to look at just uh, the importance of God's Word in our lives. I've got three points that we're going to kind of go through uh, as we work through our text, uh, that God's Word satisfies, that it sustains, and then ultimately that it, it sends us out as believers. So satisfies, sustains, and sends us out. Uh, now, before we jump into our text, uh, this book of Colossians, Paul is, is writing to the Christian church in Colossae. This was one of the new missions uh, in Asia Minor. Uh, um, so this, 
in a sense, you could say this was, a, this was a, a newer church, right? These were folks that were newer to Christianity. And so Paul has written to them in the book of, of Colossians um, in large part to solidify exactly who Jesus is, uh, what his death and resurrection mean. Um, and we're going to look at that a little bit, that, that, that their identity is now different. But then he finishes it up with words of encouragement. So uh, if you think about it this way, Paul is saying this is what has changed in your life and in you, right? These... This is the foundation of what it means to be a Christian. But then Paul takes it a step further for the Christians in Colossae and for us here today. And he says, now put that into practice, specifically clothe yourselves with Christ. So it's not just an academic exercise, right, where we read on the pages and it just becomes that. But Paul goes to great lengths in the book of Colossians to say, not only is it, is it, is it intellectual and is it reality and is it true and does it answer questions not only is it that but we also put it into practice in our christian living in how we treat one another um, in the attitudes we have the things we say yes to the things we say no to Uh, and so specifically that's kind of what he's doing with those christians in Colossae. Um, but that's the the benefit we have here this morning as well so uh, let's jump into our text this morning We're going to start uh, by just reading verses 1 through 3. You're welcome to follow along if you would like in your bulletin or on our screen. Paul says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Okay? So your life is now hidden with Christ in God. In God. Now, Paul is really building on something that he has laid out in the earlier chapters of the book of Colossians. Um, and he's saying to us that, that things are different now for you. When you have come to know Christ, something has, has changed, right? That, and Paul goes to kind of great lengths to say you're, specifically your identity is now different. So not only how you view yourself, but your understanding of how God above views you. Now, how do we know that? Or where does that come from? Well, specifically, all we're going to talk about at the end of our text, the importance of God's Word, right? Pages of Scripture. Because ultimately, that's where Christ is revealed, not only to the Christians in Colossae, but to us as well. And so we've got to back up just a little bit. Because um, we are in a time, I think, in America and in kind of this bubble, uh, which is a little bit of an experimental moment. Um, and most philosophers, most sociologists will say that a little bit, uh, um, that, that we are a, a nation that is, that is trying to act spiritual and live morally without any foundation or basis for doing so. Um, some philosophers and sociologists have said um, this, they've called this a grand experiment because uh, you go back through history and most cultures don't try to attempt to do something like this, right? Uh, uh, most, most cultures, most countries will, will try to live in a certain way, but it's always based on something, that there is some foundation there, there is some guiding tenet, right, to how you act how you treat people, how you govern yourself as a nation. So uh, when they talk about America at this moment in our history being a little bit of a grand experiment, we are, we are in a sense reaching for um, morality, structure, um, and how to live, but have in large part rejected any foundation or guidance on how to do that. Now, you can imagine that poses a little bit of an issue. 
Now, what that has done specifically, and I think this is what's pertinent for us as believers, as we're sitting here uh, in church on a Sunday morning, as we, as we uh, hear the words uh, read from our Bible, we've got to understand that that, that emphasis on the word, um, and even it as an objective truth, is largely gone within our world, right? Um, some of you have felt it. Maybe some of you struggle with it even right now. Because this is what's kind of happened to when we talk about the importance of God's word at the foundation of a congregation or as a Christian, if you've been in church, if you've been around, you say, oh yeah, that makes sense. That seems almost overly simplistic, right? It almost seems like, Pastor, do you have, does that actually have to be one of your sermons or can we just assume the Bible is the core uh, and guiding principle for a congregation or for a Christian? Yes and no. See, here's the problem, is much of our world has completely rejected that out of hand. And you've run into it. You've had conversations. You've maybe uh, tried sharing your faith. You've maybe tried having deeper philosophical um, questions and, and giving answers to people. And, and at some point, it almost feels as though you are arguing or discussing life in general on a completely different playing field. So if you felt that way, right, you're not alone. Because you kind of are. And here's what's happened is, is um, we all, I think, would universally, whether believer or unbeliever alike, we would say, universally we would say, words have power, right? Your, your words have power, right? For good or for bad, right? So our words have power. They can, they can tear people down. They can build people up. Uh, words also can change, right? The meanings can change. We know language is living, right? So words that were acceptable at one time, maybe now have carried such baggage that they no longer communicate the same thing that they did at any given point, right? Um, but universally, I think we would say we know that words have power. And on some level, maybe even we would say they're useful, right? That's true of, I think, our entire world. But here's a little bit of the problem. When words cease communicating truth, when words cease uh, communicating answers to some of life's deepest questions, then at some point you ask, what use are they? Right? Um, if, if words no longer have truth, if they no longer communicate what we think they are, what worth do they have? Well. There's an answer for that, actually, that our world generally has given. Um, if words aren't necessarily true, and if the communication of them is always kind of changing and being reframed, then what good do those words have? Well, here's what many will use words for. They're merely power plays, okay? So words are just power, right? Power plays. So uh, you use your words, not necessarily to communicate accurately any longer. Um, you use your words, not necessarily even to communicate truths, right, and answers, but almost exclusively you use your words, what you say, what you don't say, or how you reframe words in contrast to how someone else is using their words. So when I say words have power, in a large part in our world, that's how words are being used. Not as truth, not even primarily to communicate, but as power plays, okay? So my words versus your words. So the things you say and you stand for, I'm going to say different things in order to position my chess pieces just right so that I retain power and you, in some sense, have less, okay? Now, this is all maybe a little bit heady for you, right? 
Uh, but we've got to understand that, uh, um, in large part, the things we've taken for granted, right, uh, um, that words communicate truth and that they, words just communicate, um, has largely been undermined. And so words are not about either of those things any longer. It's simply about how I can use my words to move you around the chessboard exactly where I want you. <laughs> it's how can I use my words in contrast to your words, my power versus your power. Now, here's the problem with that. When the Apostle John shares with us in our gospel reading Jesus' entry into our world, what does he call Jesus? calls him the word, right? The logos, right? Living, breathing word, right? Uh, John 1.14 says the word. We're talking, this capitalized, we're talking about Jesus himself, right? The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Okay, so now here is this intimate connection. Um, we, we talk about God opening himself to us on the pages of Scripture, and Jesus literally being a living, breathing, walking, talking Bible as he took on flesh and lived in our world on our behalf. That's what John is talking about. So when we exist in a world that largely does not believe in uh, absolute truth and only uses words as power plays, we as believers base our faith on something vastly different. Right? Not only do we, uh, does Scripture become our guiding uh, principle for us as believers and as a congregation, but even more specifically, Christ himself. So when the world outside begins to tear down words or change words or change the definition of them, on some level, sooner or later, that starts to affect the word, Right? whether that's the pages of Scripture or even Christ himself. Now, here's what Paul says, or John actually. says, Jesus came with grace and truth. And both of those things, I think, are important as we talk about how does God's word strengthen us, right? That Jesus came and he was full of grace and truth. Yeah. Grace and truth, right? And I don't think anybody in the world, even our, the unbelieving world around us would say, yep, grace, we love that word grace. It's got a good connotation to it. Uh, being gracious, being graceful, like we love all of those things. But the, the harder one, I think, in our contemporary culture is the second one there is truth, right? But Jesus was full of both, simultaneously, both grace and truth. And you really have to have both in order to answer some of life's deepest questions. That's what scripture does for us, right? So when Paul talks to the Christians in Colossae, he talks to them about uh, that, that something has changed, that their status has changed. And specifically, he points them to Jesus, right? The word who is full of grace and truth has changed who they are. Now, not only has it changed their hearts from unbelief to belief, but it also gives them insight into who they are, the world around them, and how they ought to live their life or can live their life in thankfulness to their God above. So you'll see that Paul in the book of Colossians is kind of going down those things. He says, um, this is the word, the word that was preached to you, the word that was Christ incarnate, right? Who gave his life on the cross for you. And so your status has been changed um, not because of anything we've done, not because of the power plays we use in our words, but because of the word 
having given his life on the cross on your behalf. That's what Paul is built up to in this. And he says, that word is what is shared with you in the pages and on the pages of the Bible. So not only grace, right, undeserved love in Christ, but also truth, the reality that Jesus was born, lived in our world, died sacrificially, and because of his, his resurrection, our sins are washed clean. So as believers, we are, we are our students of the word. Uh, Martin Luther once called Christian congregations uh, creatures of the word, right? God's word, as is poured out for us on the pages of scripture, is what, what assures us that we are forgiven, that we are loved, and that your identity is different, right, forever after because of Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And so that's the very first place we kind of begin. Say the pages of scripture share with us both grace but also truth. Sometimes easier to take than others, but always unflinching, always revealing, and ultimately always pointing to Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And so when we talk about spiritual dining, right, this isn't some esoteric, airy type thing. For us as believers, Christ, God himself says, I will strengthen your faith through the study of my word. Right? The reminder of that you are forgiven, that you are loved, and that your identity has forever been changed in Christ. Okay? So that's our, our, first, our first point when we talk about how Scripture ultimately satisfies. Second part here, we'll read verses uh, 12 through 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Okay. Paul now has advanced, and he said, your status has been changed, right? From unbelief to belief, from death to life. Now, Paul says, put that word into action, in how you live, in the words you use, the words you choose not to use, in how you treat those around you. Paul says, um, your status is different. You are now a child of God. And so, to put it even more bluntly, so now act like it, right? That's what Paul is saying to us. He says, your identity is different because of the word, grace and truth in Christ. So now act like it, right? Basically, step up to what God has called you to be and how he has changed your heart, right? And he uses that, those terms, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, right? That's a little easier, to, easier said than done maybe at times, isn't it? Um, how do we find the power to be able to live up to the things that God has called us to be? Because if you're anything like me, when I hear these words from Paul, I almost immediately, almost outright as I read through them, my mind says, but I, but I haven't done that, not consistently. Very often do I do that one. How seldom do I, do I, do I treat people in that way or how I'm supposed to. I think when we read those words from Paul, almost intimate, intimately, instantly, we say, um, um, but I haven't lived up to that, Right? I think if you felt that way, you're not alone. In fact, um, that's maybe why you're here in a church on a Sunday morning. It's not because we are so good at what Paul just told us to do. It's 
quite honestly, because at times we're so bad at doing what Paul has called us to do and what Scripture have called us to be. But there again lies the strength and the uh, nourishment that we find on the pages of Scripture. So what does Christ say to us? Well, he says you're loved and you're forgiven and you're a part of my family and you're restored to, to live a new day with new attitudes and different words and different ways you treat people because each day you are washed clean of the sins that you have committed. So God's word isn't a reminder to God. He has not forgot that he has not forgotten that he died on the cross for your sins. He has not forgotten that he loves you and has made you a part of his family. He has not forgotten you or any of those things, right? Scripture ultimately is for us because it's quite easy for us to forget those things, right? It's quite easy for us to start to be guided by the things of this world rather than the light we find on the pages of Scripture, right? And that's easy to do. Um, Oftentimes, people kind of group them um, guiding lights into kind of three different areas, but you talk about power, achievement, and popularity, right? And how easily any one of those can become our guiding light, right? Power, achievement, or popularity. Think of how at times that, that steers, that influences how we speak, how we treat our workplace, how we treat the people around us, right? Um, how often power, achievement, and popularity simply become power plays versus somebody else. Now again, this is the importance of God's word, grace and truth. And ultimately, Paul and scripture cut right through that and say it is not because you are so powerful, you have achieved so much, or you are so popular at this given moment, right? None of those things are what guide you ultimately to eternity or give you eternal answers to eternal questions. Paul says only, only Christ does. Only the Word made flesh in Jesus. Okay. So, our last point. Read verses 15 through 17. Paul says this, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Okay, so this is how Paul ends it. What's a practical way that Paul says, okay, so your status has been changed, right? Here's what God asks you to simply be, that he has made you. But then practically, how do we... How do we put that into practice in our everyday living? Because that's exactly what Paul wants of us. He says, um, let Christ dwell among you richly. What does that actually look like? Well, I think it means being actually in his word. (laughs) Being in grace and truth and allowing that to wash over us, um, work us from the inside out, uh, and letting that reveal not only truths about ourselves and the world around us, but most importantly, truths about our God above and our status that we have in Him. So, 
How does that dwell among us richly? It's by being in His Word, by reading His truths on the pages of Scripture, right? Uh, some of you know this guy, Warren Buffett. Someone asked him once uh, about, about uh, one of the most important things you can do in your life, and there was a whole stack of books that was in his office, uh, and he kind of pointed to them, and he said this. He said, read 500 pages like this every day. That's how knowledge works. It builds up like compound interest. All you can do it, but I guarantee not many of you will, right? Um, he's done well, Warren Buffett, right? Um, yeah, right? We would say, okay, in an earthly sense, he's done well, um, but also as a voracious reader. How much more true is that of us as believers in connection with God's word? I think it's even more so. And I think even actually the point is true there of compounding interest. The more we are in God's word, the more he reveals himself to us and gives us a, a, a foothold and a framework for all the things that happen in our lives. Right? Okay, so I've got some stats for you today. This is where it gets practical. Okay? The average nonfiction book, average number of words in a nonfiction book is 50,000. Okay? 50,000 words in a nonfiction book. Okay? The average uh, words per minute that Americans read at is about two to 400 words per minute. Okay? Now, some of you are sitting there going, oh, I'm at least 500, Pastor. Right? <laughs> No, no boasting today, please. No boasting today, right? But about two to 400 words per minute, okay? 7,000 or 727,969. Can you guess? That is a word count of what? Yeah, that's words in the Bible. Specifically, uh, the NIV, which is the, the translation that we use in our church and that are on the, in, on the back wall there. So uh, 727,969 words the pages of Scripture, right? Uh, the Word for us, okay? 3,640. So if you read at an average of about 200 words per minute, you could read the whole Bible in 3,640 minutes, okay? That equals about 60 hours of your life. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have read the whole Bible? Front, don't raise your hand. No, I said don't raise your hands. <laughs> Some of you are like so eager, like, I've got to raise my hand. Um, right? How many of us have, have read the entire Bible cover to cover? If you were to do it, about 200 words a minute, about 60 hours. Okay? And yet, we know that the pages of Scripture are what nourish us, assure us, give us insight into ourselves, our world, and most importantly, our saviors. Okay? So you're thinking, um, who has 60 hours available in their lives, Pastor? You do. Okay, 609 hours per year, that's how much the average American spends on social media. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter slash X, whatever it happens to be, right? 609 hours a year just on social media, right? 1,642 hours per year just watching television, media, whatever device you happen to have, okay? Do you think 60 hours of your time would be better spent reading through the pages of Scripture? I think you can afford it. I think we can afford it. I think we can 
carve out hours to spend in God's word where we are able to listen to his voice, his truths, his grace, and his reality. That's my prayer for you today and for us as a congregation, that that word, that grace and truth is central to not only who we are, but also to who we are as believers. Let's, let's dine on it. Let's eat from it. Let's learn from it. It will challenge us. It will, it will bring us joy and beauty. But at the center of it, we find Christ as our word. Today, as you leave, you're actually going to find some ways to do that. Back of your bulletin, there's actually a one-year uh, read through the whole Bible and one-year reading plan, if you'd like to use that one. Um, for those of you that maybe aren't as aggressive in your reading each and every day, uh, on the cart over here, we've actually got a three-year plan where you can read through the whole Bible in three years and kind of check off every single reading that goes through. But here's the point. If we as believers, if we as a congregation, don't know the grace and the truths that are found on the pages of Scripture, how can we expect the world around us to have any understanding of it? And so it begins with you and me and with us. Spending time in his word, the revelation that he pours out for us on those pages, and most importantly, the reality that we have a savior and a status before him that is forgiven and eternity is our home. Amen.